A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Monday Making Conversation Masterclass. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For you, it may be the size of your paycheck. Mine is helping people and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories. I tell it, I tell it every episode and start writing your own. People always talk about purpose and gifts. If you have a gift or a purpose, lead with your gift. And don't let your friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dream. As always, I'm excited my about my guest on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. And today, I'm even more excited. When you sit down and watch a guy do things that you go, I think I can do that. Not really, not really. His name is Adam Richmond. He is. He made his name on TV as the star <laughs> of Man vs. Feud. I can't tell you how many episodes I've seen of this guy. He was willing to eat large amounts of food in short periods of time, taking on challenges from various restaurants across the country. To me, it was the world. And Adam is now promoting his new series, Adam Eats the 80s. Like, if you have video, I got the big old box right here. They sit down here for marketing, and I got all the little goodies that they put in that box. The popular series, and also another popular series that he hosts on the History Channel called The Food That Built America, which is really, really a cool show. It's also airing in season three. Both shows, like I said earlier, air on Sunday nights on the History Channel. Now, let's get back to the 80s. That was a decade, you know, when food was all about the flavor, and this 10 episodes series follows Richmond as he digs into the most nostalgic and you said nostalgic because some of this food is out today and I'm still eating it so we're going to talk about that so I may be, I may be a bit of nostalgic and still just don't want to let go just don't want to let go <laughs> but uh, his viewers were relieved the decade by joining Richmond on a journey back to where these brands all began that's the really cool part about it we're going to talk about that during the interview learn about the amazing secrets never revealed and watch as Richmond tries versions of products that were never intended for public use. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, the host of two History Channel shows, my man, Adam Richmond. How you doing, Adam? Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Hey, I'll tell you something, Adam. Uh, I'm going to just go back to a little history. Uh, uh, just becoming a fan of yours and... Uh, you know, as a younger guy, you know, people always say, man, you can eat, you can eat, you can eat. <laughs> okay. Now, now, th- th- knowing you, I 
can't eat. Okay, I can't eat. I I I, I consume a nice amount of food. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Uh, I, I will tell you this. I don't care how much money I make. I still go to buffets. Man. I go to the corral. I still roll up in there, man, and and chow down. So I enjoy variety. And I still I understand the value of a great steakhouse. But boy, I would go by a buffet and still enjoy that. What got you into the business, Adam? Well, uh, yeah, I don't eat like that normally. I don't think I'd still be here if I did. Um, I. Um, I started acting when I was about nine, um, and I loved food, and I loved the language, the story of food, the shared communication right. through food and stuff like this, but it was always a hobby, an avocation. And um, I was told, like I guess many Jews <laughs> from the Northeast are told, like you're going to become a doctor. Right, And right. Uh, that was the path I was on. And then... Um, slowly became a little disenchanted with science, fell more in love with languages. I speak French, I speak Hebrew, speak some Japanese. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I like, began acting just on my own. Uh, I started, uh, came out of Emory University in Atlanta. Right. I worked for the Olympics in 96. And then Atlanta is a great town for a non-union actor to start. At least it was in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. And so food became a way to support my acting habits. So working at restaurants, working in kitchens. And um, you end up with two educations simultaneous, an arts <laughs> right. education and a culinary one. And... Uh, Flashing very far forward, I came out of Yale Drama School because um, I decided that if I got a master's from a good school, at very least I could teach in right. the arts at the university level and make at least a six-figure income and provide for a family and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mom would get the sticker for the back of her car that said <laughs> Yale. She'd get the Yale mom coffee mug. I'd be straight. Right, <laughs> so, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what ended up happening was um, I came out of Yale. I was blessed to be signed with agents, started working. And again, the the food stuff sort of augmented and supported all the acting stuff. And um, I read three books in very short succession wow. that I personally um, I consider to be the linchpins of me achieving a modicum of success. And I don't get any kind of kickback. I want to make that clear. These are just genuine books I read that helped me. Right. Um, I read a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And then I read The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And then I read a book called um, uh, The Renaissance Soul by Margaret Lobenstein. Uh, Life Design for People. Uh, it's, it's called Life Design for People with Too Many Passions to Pick Just One. Right. And um, in that book, there was one particular exercise called the reverse flow chart where you sort of took your passions and your abilities and it helped you kind of ascertain what your career could and should be. Mm -hmm. And I knew I had this entertainment skill set and, you know, knowledge base and work experience resume. And then I had a culinary one. Right. And I knew that it was the merging of the two that was the thing. And then I just launched myself at every opportunity. An opportunity uh, came my way um, through one of the agents that I signed with out of <laughs> graduate school. And I launched myself at it like a juggernaut. Like I just was like, if this is what you want and this is the opportunity, um, 
you know, I had studied international studies, so I knew travel was a thing. I had gotten formal training as a sushi chef, so I knew that was a thing. And Mm -hmm. I had a master's from Yale drama, so I knew performance was my thing. So I needed to find a way to fuse travel, food, and performance. And uh, when the opportunity came, you just have to come at it, no let up. You just have to put everything you have into those opportunities. And that's that's kind of what I did. I auditioned. So, so on man versus food, did you have to like eat food from them? Did they have a reputation as <laughs> yeah, an eater? How did that, that was part of the audition. Believe really? it or not, there was no, <laughs> there was no five pound burrito audition. But, but the first audition actually, you did have to bring some food, but they wanted to see how you could describe flavor. Right. And how you made it look when you ate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, then there were subsequent auditions, interviews, they check your references. And then the final screen test was at Katz's Deli. And it was on Valentine's Day of 2008. Uh-huh. And uh, it was me and the final six dudes. And I had wow. a very good mentor uh, when I worked at Actors Theater of Louisville, Kentucky. John Jory said, an audition is not some kind of new age experience. It's competition. A competition right you're there to get a job they're there to get a job and whether or not you pay your bills in a meaningful manner for the next however long depends upon how well you fare in this competition so you can make nice nice with everybody else but you're there to lock it down and get a damn job so mm-hmm. uh yeah i auditioned and at that final screen test I had to eat a gigantic double Reuben and wow. fries. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, this, the sandwiches at Katz's Deli are not cheap, and I was pretty broke. And so being able to get a, a Katz's sandwich for free was pretty dope. That was like, <laughs> With yeah, those dude. fries. Those fries are great. I've been there. That's an awesome place. So man. good. So good, yes. those fries. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. You know, the, the beauty of uh, you as a, as a talent, because that explains now how the, the ending of man versus food, because you always had those little fake press conferences and you had the shades <laughs> on. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something, man, that, that made me a fan of yours because you could, Thank you know, you had a sense of humor. You know, you didn't take it for real, but it was that, it was that personality to the next level. And you Thank always you. had a nice, charming smile, and you did. They, they, let's tell you, they hired the right person because all Thank those things. When you ate, it was a journey. When you talked to people, you would look comfortable. You looked like a regular guy. In the end, you, you was a spoof, having people act like ask you questions and things like that. So, really, that was the persona that you built out, and you became this connoisseur, this star of a. Uh, consuming food, but really you was an entertainer to me, you know, because I, I could see you being a game show host easily, and I'm pretty sure you've done that in your lifetime. But the thing uh, about it, but right now, in, you're in this food industry, and, and so a little background on me is that when I, when I heard about the show, you know, Adam Eats the 80s, in 1986, I was working for IBM, and I had my math degree. Everybody thought I was going to stay at IBM, but I wanted to pursue a career as a stand-up comedian. And so I left IBM. And so shocked everybody to pursue a career as a stand-up comedian. Well, I was a road comedian. So when you start talking about at the 80s, I was out there consuming Roy Rogers. I was there, brother. I was there. You know, so so this this is a fun journey for me. And just interviewing you is kind of like, 
wow, I did that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But when, when I saw Roy Rogers, that really hit home for me. So <laughs> just, just talk about the, being involved in this series. You know, you got the series about the, the food that built America. But to talk about a little about this show, and I'm going to throw in my little comments here and there because I kind of like experienced this because I was on the road in the 80s and in the 90s <laughs> and all it. that good stuff. I love it. Yeah, Roy Rogers owned the 95 Carter for sure. That's yes. that was their that was their domain for sure. Well, so the the two shows are so fascinating because they sort of complement each other. Yes, they do. Um, and so, Food That Built America is one of the most inspiring ones for me personally. And I'm not saying that because I'm in it or been mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, these men and women bet on themselves, bet on themselves when the world bet against them, yes. when common sense bet against them. And I think there's a lesson in that. But also, uh, Bill Maher once said, we live in a guitar hero culture where everybody wants to play the solo, but nobody wants to learn the chords. <laughs> yes. And I think that uh, these are people that spent time in the trenches and you don't realize how much sweat equity, you know, people hear about the success, but they don't really pay attention to what it took to, to get there. And, um, I think that that's, that's the coolest part. And so for me, the other aspect is I love those little bits of nickel knowledge, right? Where you, uh, know that little factoid about that cookie or that symbol or that company. And it's something interesting. So to look at the new Wendy's logo and see the word mom hidden in the ruffles of Wendy's shirt <laughs> because they want to evoke mom's home cooking. Right. Or the fact that um, the Oreo cookie uh, came after the Hydrox and the symbol on that cookie actually comes from this medieval guild symbol. Yes. Or even the fact that uh, Wally Amos, a famous Amos, was an agent at William Morris, discovered Simon and Garfunkel, and got one of the first loans to start his business from Marvin Gaye. All those cool little facts, I just think you get a deeper appreciation of the culinary world around us. It's beautifully shot. And uh, whether it's this season, whether it's beer, whether it's bread, whether it's sweets, whether it's um, uh, casual dining, uh, I think that... There is something for everyone. There is something that will connect with everyone, male entrepreneurs, female, black, white, Asian. I think that it's remarkable. The other thing that, um, and then again, for me, I was born in 74, so the 80s were my decade. Right. And, uh, you know, you remember stuff from when you're six years old. So I remember when it was 1980 and Reagan was in the White House. Now, now, don't, 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 it, let me slide because I want to get off that uh, the, 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 the show, The Food That Built America. That, that was yes, important sir. because, you know, because of the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of like those Ripley Believe It or Nots. And this is kind of like that, but for food, you know, because you don't believe that this actually happened this way. Like you was talking about uh, a famous Amos. And like uh, several years ago, he had contacted, these people contacted me about doing a documentary. And and so, and, wow. and like I said, the whole Marvin Gaye, he told me that whole story. And the fact that, you know, his cookies don't look like cookies. They like really like like a, a quarter of a cookie. And he said that was the it's whole... like a ball, rim. yeah. Right, like a little, you know, it's like, you know, if you, the way we consume cookies nowadays, his almost looked like chips. And the fact that he was able to pull that off, he was talking about going from car to car. The whole backstory, like you said, is really compelling because you go, as an entrepreneur, there was a before social media, there was before the internet, 
These are just people sometimes going from, you know, store to store or person to person to, to, to get their word out. And then their brand just took off. Of all those stories, because there's a lot, it's, it's the third season. What's the most compelling? Is it the individual or is the product that they That's actually come up with? That's a question. I think it's the effort of the individual. I think you have to have a product that you believe in. Right. And that goes without saying. And I've, I'm very impressed by when you look at everyone from Campbell's Soup to the lady that founded Pepperidge Farm. Right. That, there was an uncompromising level of standards that mm-hmm. um, both inspires me and makes me feel a little bit bad for cutting <laughs> corners sometimes. I'll be honest with you. But um, I think that every single, it's like, what's that old line uh, from the old, old song? They all laughed at Christopher Columbus. Right. But I feel that this is very much the case. So I feel that it's the individual. I feel that... Um, Hard work and determination alone are omnipotent, as it seems. And and I'll say, you know, because that's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Wally Amos had an original cookie, a good cookie, a great personality. But by his own admission, a businessman, he was none. And he scaled up uh, devoid of a business plan to match that scale. Decisions were made. Fiscal decisions were made. Um, that were ill-advised, you know, to be in a difficult location at a walking mall in Arizona with no air conditioning. Like, mm-hmm. it's just poor forethought. And, you know, you have an entrepreneur, and let's also be honest, an African-American entrepreneur in the 80s yes. who, who sadly can now no longer even use his own face and name on a product he Absolutely. created with his Absolutely. aunt as a child. Mm-hmm. And that's profoundly tragic. But... Uh, there's a playwright named Stephen Dietz, and he wrote a, uh, an essay called An Audience Manifesto. And he said, if the artist trips, we know to jump. If the mm-hmm. artist hits their head, we know to duck. Right. And I think that that's where Wally Amos is worth his weight in gold, is that he is such a warm, wonderful, zen type of individual that despite the slings and arrows, I mean, my God, who would think Wally Amos could go on Shark Tank and not get a deal? Right. And that happened. And yet, um, he's very forthcoming because, you know, he got that deal with, I believe it was Bloomingdale's yes. and he was in all these stores and didn't have a production field. He couldn't scale to meet the demand. Absolutely. And then the flip side, you know, we juxtaposed this in Food That Built America is Debbie Field. And we could also acknowledge that the 80s, and I say this as you know, the son of a very strong stepmom and mom who hit their head on that glass ceiling several times is straight up like for women as entrepreneurs in the 80s, it was not a warm, welcoming time. And mm-hmm. uh, Debbie Field, I think, if I'm not mistaken, she had something like a 21% interest rate on her first loan. And she said it was the best money she could ever get because it was the only money she could right. get. Mm-hmm. Her husband leveraged his house. But Debbie Field kept it small till it was a proven concept. She actually walked the streets of Palo Alto. She wasn't selling as much as she felt she could. And you know what I said about betting on yourself? Someone made a really harsh comment to her at a dinner party saying how she had this stupid pipe dream. She was a beautiful woman, still is, but a beautiful woman. And so they they thought she was just this pretty housewife. Mm -hmm. And she locked up the shop, took samples on a tray, pounded the pavement, built a groundswell, built a demand. 
And her husband was, at the time in the 80s, they called it an economic futurist. What we call today is <laughs> IT. He, um, he, he realized that she could exert quality control, maintain proprietary um, recipes, mm -hmm. um, track you know, losses and right. gains and mm -hmm. that's whatever awesome. through a computer. And it changed the game. And I feel that's why I talk about the individual. They both had great cookies. One of them had a better business plan. Absolutely. Olympian Subway had great, both had decent sandwiches. Subway used scientific method and blew them off the map. Absolutely. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second-grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married yeah. at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation <laughs> yeah. that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. We create magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. You know, I, the, the fun part about the, the the 80s show, you know, because yes, like sir. I said, I was on the road out there doing my thing. And even when I go in the airport, I, you know, I say, Annie Ann, you know, I will stop and give me that lemonade. I, that's what I do. I get a I get a plain one and I give me a, 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 a lemonade. And brother, I am happy. I'm walking. I'm sitting there. <laughs> I take it on the plane. I don't care from first class. I got my Annie, my Annie Ann's in there. And I'm excited. Same thing with Cinnabons when they came out the minis. But we all started with the Cinnabons. And then the Mr. T's. It, it, it was just it was just a flood of just stuff coming to me. Go, oh yeah, I forgot about that, Mr. T. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then and then then they sent this package about the bubble gum that you chew at one time. All the sweet goes away. Oh, it yeah. was just it was just a fun stuff. But the part that really got to me that when I was doing a background on this was the fact that I didn't know that the McDonald's flies were, were, were prepared a different way. And then they, and then they changed the syrup on the coke. Talk about that type of information that you're getting out of that show that, right, there's a lot of aha moments in there. Or, oh, I didn't know that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yes. Yeah, so, moving to the other show, Adam Eats the 80s, we look at this incredibly dynamic, energetic, wild, wildly innovative decade through the prism of food. Right. And like you said, <laughs> we will basically go to the origin story for these brands that came out in the 80s and became national and global icons like Cinnabon and Auntie Anne's you know, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then look at things that appeared in the eighties and maybe disappeared. <laughs> so, um, Domino's you know, breakfast just, pizza. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. And obviously because, you know, you're an incredibly, you know, brilliant man with a head for numbers. You understand that, um, you know, when Reagan switched to supply side economics, mm -hmm. Reaganomics floods mm -hmm. the economy with money until the recessions in the nineties, and uh, and then everyone wears flannel and gets tribal tattoos. But until then, <laughs> it was big shoulder pads, big hair, J ones, you know, Bo Jackson cross traders. Right, right. In the eighties, was unlike today, you didn't necessarily have to have nutritional info on your food. You did not have to have calories at fast food restaurants. There was no real concentration, uh, unless it was medically ordained or religiously specified, that you needed to be vegan, vegetarian, paleo, keto, whole 30, 5 2, mm -hmm. you know, all these other Atkins, not, not a thing. A diet culture emerged in the 80s, but right. it was fad, fad, fad. It was Jane Fonda's workout, the grapefruit mm. diet, and the Beverly Hills oh, diet. Oh, you bring it back uh, so many. Because I, I was a Jane Fonda. I had, to, I, had to, I, had to, I had the VHS tapes and the beta. Hey, I'm just telling you. My step my stepmom, when I was a little chubby kid, my stepmom, no leg warmers, though, because... You know that's child abuse. I'm I, I, I just gonna tell you, I because I I was I, I had the leg warmers because I, I I was a I was an instructor. I'm, Adam, you're talking to the worst guy in the world here. I, I, I had love to, it. You probably look good in there. <laughs> I would have looked. I would I would have looked like a, a little decorated hippo. And then then the other thing is, if you recall, there was that show for broadcast TV, uh, right. Richard Simmons. Yes, who my man had healthy eating. Yes. There was a guy mm -hmm. on uh, Captain Kangaroo and. Other shows called Slim Goodbody, who would wear a suit where you could see yes, your organs yes, and stuff. Yes. And so there was this, this effort because by the 80s, people were watching roughly eight hours of television a day. Um, you had a whole generation of latchkey kids as two-parent families, two-parent working families became the norm. Women had room in the workplace that they never did before. 
Um, there was a one-third increase of white-collar workers, so mm -hmm. you had parents gone. Plus, you had the invention of the microwave, yes. which allows children the ability to cook, parents to prepare meals incredibly quickly, mm -hmm. gives companies a new avenue for revenue, allows uh, a whole other market for leftovers and home delivery because it doesn't take a whole production to reheat something or remake mm -hmm. something or mm -hmm. reconstitute something. and. Um, you know, and then with all the fluctuating economic stuff, there was uh, a new pivot. So bringing it to what you said about Coca-Cola and uh, McDonald's French fries. So I mean, this is so cool because we went to this food lab uh, called Matson Labs in Northern California, just south of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's relatively close to San Jose. And it's um, just spectacular and quite frankly i mean th these guys have developed everything from like the frappuccino to <laughs> some yeah. of the nut milks you've seen but mm. it's a food lab these are true mm. food scientists and what happened was mm. in the 80s there was a millionaire who had had a heart attack and his doctors cautioned him about fast food he spent his money on this crusade to healthify fast food mm. and one of the things they talked about was how mcdonald's would fry their french fries in beef tallow which is solidified beef fat. And it's still done in England. If you've ever had a roast dinner anywhere at a pub or at a restaurant in England, uh, they use duck fat. Um, every mm -hmm. gastro pub and mm -hmm. their mama that serves Brussels sprouts and mm -hmm. pate and whatever, they do a, a duck fat fry. So frying in suet uh, or tallow is very, very common, but it's way more saturated fat. Remember, if any animal product has cholesterol. Any plant product doesn't. So you could eat a pound of vegan cheese. You may have, you know, taken in quite a bit of fat, but you will have taken in no cholesterol. And um, basically, he started this crusade. And strangely enough, all the restaurants, both McDonald's and Burger King, pivoted on the same day uh, away from beef tallow and right. began frying in a beef flavored vegetable oil. Um, the other thing is, as you mentioned, Coca-Cola. Now, being uh, a former Atlanta <laughs> boy myself and having gone to Emory, my father may rest in peace with my pop right here. Uh -huh. uh, I'll never forget. Um, I was down to, I was deciding between three schools. I was deciding between University of Chicago, Washington University, St. Louis, um, actually four schools, Union College in Schenectady and uh, Emory. Yes, sir. And I, um, I was pretty gung ho about Emory because by then I knew that if I were there ninety two to ninety six, I was at least going to be there for the Olympics, and I'm an Olympics junkie. And as it turned out, in ninety two to ninety six, I had a Super Bowl, a World Series, and an Olympics. <laughs> awesome. Plus, Delta, Xerox, and Coke all had headquarters there, so I thought it increased the likelihood of employment opportunities, or at very least, internship opportunities. Because those companies are big enough that if I decided marketing, they all have a big marketing. Correct. If I decided PR, they all had a big PR way. Mm -hmm. Anyway, without getting too far up my own butthole, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so my pop may rest in peace. I remember Emory and this, wow, what a great school. Oh my gosh, if he wants to be a doctor, he could. Emory University Hospital System is brilliant. They're doing these things and so on and so forth. And then my pop calls me. He's like, we need to talk. I said, why? He said, why do they call it Coke U? 
I was like, no, that has nothing to do with Scarface, Dad. Coca-Cola, like, like my dorm is called Dobbs, like this Dobbs, right. Cameron, Woodruff, like there's nothing, nothing to do with cocaine. I promise you, at all, like ever. I'm like seven up with that, Dad. I never had it, never will. Like right, no, right, no, no, no. Right. And uh, but that's so. Uh, as anyone in Atlanta knows or has ever gone to the world of Coca-Cola. Um, it's a recipe. The actual recipe for Coca-Cola dates back to a Civil War veteran named Doc Pemberton. Mm -hmm. um, and much like all the great sodas were, right? They were medicine tonics like Dr. Pepper. Right. And Pepsi gets its name because they thought it cured uh, Pepsis or dyspepsia. Mm -hmm. And um, so Coca-Cola had always been sweet with sugar, with sucrose. Right, right. Um, what happened was, and this is what's so cool about doing a show about the 80s. In the 80s, uh, between sugar prices rising, hurricanes decimating huge swaths of the sugar crops in yes, the Caribbean and so on and so forth, even uh, limiting beet sugars that we had at home, Robert Goizueta, who is a chemist, pivots to high fructose corn syrup, realizes he could achieve uh, the same BRICS, B-R-I-X, sweetness level but spend a fraction of what sucrose costs. Wow. So make a cola that tastes the same, just as sweet for a fraction of the price. Shareholders saw profits like they've never seen. Goizueta gets made CEO. The business school at Emory is named <laughs> after the dude. And um, where I took financial accounting. And man, let me tell you, I was so bad at that class. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, uh, so that's what Coca-Cola did. And that was... Um, the first pivot, and then we began to see uh, the uh, the rise of the artificial sweetener, the saccharin. Right. So all that is all that is incorporated in the series, in the storytelling, and things like that. You know, some Adam. I'm speaking to Adam Richmond here. Adam, the amazing thing about it, you can you can produce these shows, and it's the it's who is telling the story. You are a great storyteller, my friend. Thank I want to make sure you get that out of this interview uh you just engaging man and i i, I feel fortunate you this is like you know i, I interview a lot of people and uh -huh. and, and if, my, if my wife was here she'd tell you yeah he watches him that's that's the girl right <laughs> nice. there. That's thank the girl. her for me you know because of the fact i enjoy you and uh you're doing something i can never do but it's entertainment and you do oh, it from an entertainment you. perspective and and really interviewing you on this show today allows me to understand you a lot more not saying I was confused by you, but you know, your background, your <laughs> intellect, you know, your worldliness, it all shows across on the screen and it comes across as effortless. And so because Thank of that, you. that comes from the person who's comfortable with himself, has been around and done the things that are fun for him. And my big takeaway is, you know, when I look at people in life and I tell people all the time, do what makes you happy. And, and, and like I said, I left a math degree, an IBM career, and wanted to tell jokes. And I've been rolling down that direction all my life. And you have two shows on television now. You can't go wrong with that. Adam, each the 80s. I got my little box. I got it in my cabinet. You know, <laughs> you know I got my little... I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you something, Adam. I got... I got two Emmys, I got three NAAC Image Awards, and I got this right next to them, okay? That's how much I think of you, <laughs> brother. You. Only thing That's I'm missing, only thing I'm missing, Adam, is your autograph. So I'm hoping one day you come through Atlanta, I find out, and it's going to be a, yes. a six-foot black man in a suit back there holding this box and, Adam, Adam, 
I need your signature, brother. I need your signature. Listen, you got that no problem. Oh, man, I would, just for the base of an Emmy, what I would do. Just for like one screw on the nameplate. Can I get one little, one gold screw? It's That's coming, man. It's a lifetime of oh, goodness, brother. On the History Channel, Thank you catch you. Uh, every Sunday, uh, Adam Eats the 80s and the Food That Built America, hosted by my man, Adam Richmond. Thank you, Adam.